At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. It's uh, Adam flying solo tonight, but uh, I've got with me a really cool guest to start off, really, I guess, officially to start off the 400s, episode 401 here. So uh, Jason Andrews, who is a fellow podcaster, um, he is the host and producer and jack of all trades of the uh, Paranormal Patio podcast. And We've uh, met Jason a couple of times. He came down to Nashville uh, for the Strange Realities Conference back in October. And then Serfiel and I met him in Somerset back in uh, January when we went up there uh, for the Penny Royal party. So we decided we'd go ahead and get Jason on the show. And here he is. Jason, welcome to Conspiracy Normal, brother. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, I had a lot of uh, cool meetups in the last six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was great to it was it was great to meet you at uh, at the uh, Strange Realities Conference for sure, and to hang out for just a little bit. I, I was you know so absolutely just busy that I didn't really have a lot of time to really hang out, but uh, yeah. made a little bit of time when I went to had to take Ren back and forth to the to the uh, hotel so i was able to hang out with you guys for a little bit but um you know the penny royal guys uh really good friends of ours as well and of course surfiel is featured uh in a few, quite a few episodes of the second season of course uh, nathan did like one interview with him and made like you know <laughs> split it into like five different episodes yeah. so we uh you know um somerset not being too far from where we are uh in nashville we just decided to go up there and of course that's where we got to know you a little bit better so uh welcome yeah thanks so a lot, man. 
I've been listening to the show. Uh, listened to the third, most of the third season, and oh, here we go. Yeah, oh no, it's it's good. I mean, you got a good uh, little thing going on there. You like to, you know, have fun with your guests and all that. And I'm curious what kind of got you. And I'm sure this will lead to a wider discussion, but I'm curious what got you started with the paranormal patio. What got you interested? in all this weirdness to begin with. Sure. Well, I would say that working at my local radio station in 2010 or so really got me keen on speaking to the invisible public. <laughs> it's a lot easier uh, to do podcasting if you have any type of like, you know, public speaking uh, experience. And I've always been a pretty strong public speaker. I don't usually get nervous. Uh, radio was a lot of fun. Whenever my son was born, I, I quit working at the radio station because it pays beans and uh, probably even less now. And when podcasting was really taking off, uh, even before then, I did a live radio show on the internet <laughs> with uh, a friend of mine. It only did three or four episodes and we stopped. Uh, I started another podcast in like 2014 or something like that. And uh, with my friend, John, who started Paranormal Patio with me and another friend of ours, um, we got kind of bored with it. And whenever the pandemic hit, uh, I asked John if he would want to come back and just talk weird stuff. And I didn't know what it was going to turn into, um, but it's it's taken over pretty much all my free time now. So here I am at the Paranormal Patio. Yeah, we never know exactly how these things are going to go whenever we start them, right? That's, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're 400 deep, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it definitely has been a journey for me, and you know, in the last 10 years that I've been doing this, um, that and the conferences and everything. So yeah, you never know exactly what uh, how it starts. Yeah, you do. Uh, I did notice that. Um, I'm glad you said it about the radio thing because I did notice that you get you seem to have some radio training um now that you mentioned I don't know if it, I'd call so. it training Adam I don't know that I'd call it training it was uh here's how to use the reel-to-reel -reel that I was yeah. still responsible for using here's how to use the carts and here's the soundboard <laughs> knock yourself out unless right. the songs you can't play so don't do that right right well you, yeah. did you did you actually go on the radio did you actually DJ and stuff? oh yeah yeah okay yeah yeah. Well, you got a little bit of that. You got a little bit of that timber to your voice, sir. So I appreciate it. That's the, where, <laughs> where I'm going with that. So what's, uh, what got you started on all uh, looking at all the weirdness? Um, how did uh, that start for you? Has this been like a lifelong thing? Did you just recently get into it? Like, how did, uh, how did all this start? Uh, well, I'm a member of what I call the Ghostbuster generation. Like I was born in 85. And I've never known a world without Ghostbusters. And I was huge into the cartoon whenever I was a little kid, uh, the toys and, you know, the little backpack and everything. Like I was all in. Uh, we had some really good horror and sci-fi that came out from the time I was born until, you know, I exited my formative years. And I was always into weird stuff just because of that, I think. Uh, I dipped in and out, you know, I'd be really into something and then I, it would fizzle out and I'd just get, you know, sucked back into regular life like everybody else kind of does you know uh when hellier came out 
and I finally gave in and watched it. I put it off for so long because it had hell in it. And I thought it was going to be like some weird Christian Amazon, like uh, <laughs> <laughs> documentary. Right. Uh, but it captured that sense of adventure that I think a lot of paranormal TV is missing. And what seems like pretty blatantly obvious honesty. Um, they don't find something extravagant at the end of each episode. You know what I mean? It, it's real. Yeah. And that really got me sucked back into the paranormal really hard with a mature sort of mindset that I have now versus whenever I was younger. And so, yeah, I've really embraced it and I've learned a lot, read a lot of books, met a lot of great people, yourself included. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy with, with where I am in it. Do you find that Hellier is a watershed for paranormal, I guess, programming? I won't necessarily say television, but programming. Because it seems like this. I was having this discussion with Serfiel the other day. And um, for me, personally, and what kind of got me sucked back into the paranormal, I guess you could say. I mean, it, I'd always been interested in it. and But um, really, I was more interested in UFOs and that whole mythology back in the late 90s when more than i was interested in ghosts or the paranormal or anything like that although that had always been something for me that was always there um but really like you know the first season of ghost hunters and probably the second season as well was a big influence on me and i remember that being like really huge for me to see on tv and it was the same kind of thing i mean at that point um they weren't really, they would just go to these investigations and they would have, um, they would, they would necessarily wouldn't always find something or they would find a mundane reason why it could be that way. And it wasn't all sensational in that first season. And that's first season was a pretty big success. And I can remember just eating all that stuff up around that time and really getting into, although I never really considered myself a ghost hunter, that's really what got me into trying to find more radio shows about the paranormal and these things and kind of what got me started on my path. So do you find that that Hellier for a lot of people has brought that out in them now since I guess the, fir the first season came out in 2019? Well, I think it's undeniable the amount of people that it's reached and the amount of this is so cheesy the amount of lives that it's changed like it's it's cliche to say and it's really corny but like it totally changed my entire life i know that pre hellier i wasn't sitting here talking uh, you know to other weirdos about weirdo stuff you know what i mean like i was just a dude and so i think i know i'm not alone i'm they're following is humongous and you look at that without like a national cable tv like driving yeah. force behind it sure and like amazon is huge and youtube is huge it's hard to base things that are exclusive to streaming still for us in the general public we don't know how many people watch it you know what i mean but the cable ratings you can look and say well there's 1.8 million people watch this so i don't know i, I definitely think it, it definitely motivates a lot of people to at least try something or read something listen to something um it definitely has me for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
just i guess the the point of view i do see that it does have a quite a popular following and you know i mean i guess definitely kudos to them for doing what they've done um you know i and i but i think it also it's at the same time it's launched people like yourself to study your own ideas and your own go on your own journey which is similar to how it went for me you know i don't i don't buy a lot of the stuff anymore that i used to buy into because i've gone i mean i guess in a lot of basic ways maybe i do but you know i just look at things a little more complex complex now so i think that you know it's i guess it's the gateway drug i suppose is how you could uh you could call it for maybe you guys uh <laughs> yeah for sure for sure yeah. that's a good that's a good terminology for it right right and and through that um you well you know i mean i guess we both threw the same thing i mean you know nathan and found out that they were doing penny royal podcasts and all that and of course we all found out about about nathan um how could you miss him in that in that episode um, yeah yeah for sure <laughs> uh, but um and to find out he's just like that in real life is amazing um but he doesn't stop he's like a uh, robot oh uh, yeah that's true yeah he is he is something else um but you connected up with the penny royal guys as well and uh you've actually become quite you know quite tight with them uh yeah, talk, yeah. A, talk a little bit about your relationship with them sure well, I to back that back up a little bit. I when I watched Hellier season two and saw Lonnie Scott on the show, the hypnotist, uh, on the screen during that alien abduction thing that they did, it said Mattoon, Illinois. Well, that's like 45 minutes from me. I'm like, really, this is interesting. And so I just looked him up, see if he was online, and he was. And we chatted for a little bit, and I ended up doing the graphic design for his web store. Like, he just made a post one day looking for somebody to do this T-shirt, whatever. Uh, so I've done all of his T-shirts and stuff since then. And he made a post one day when the pandemic started about, like, if you have any creative aspirations, now's a really great time to do it and, you know, act out on them. And that's when I started the podcast. So flash forward from April of 2020 to right when penny royal dropped uh i get an email from nathan hey uh i'm just reaching out to see if you'd be interested in having us on your show to promote penny royal that just came out and he gave me a description like i've already listened to the whole thing he doesn't know this you know like i was already a fan anyway and i was like yeah absolutely you know i'd love to have you guys on the show so we set it up and they were the first episode of season two and i had to ask about my weird excuse because in the end of penny royal season one there's a throwaway line about alistair crowley visiting livingston county kentucky so i had to know more about it and because of that we had like a three-hour conversation off camera <laughs> and uh we dug into a bunch of weird stuff in western kentucky and we've just been in pretty much constant contact since then um i've been down there to see them a couple times saw them in nashville at strange realities and uh i'm always talking to somebody about it <laughs> but yeah they're great guys all of them super smart super smart guys and just the nicest people man everybody that i have met in somerset has just been top-notch nice yeah it's a nice it's a nice little town it's an interesting place and of course you know we hung out at the um 
Jarfly there, which yeah, really I kind of uh, liken it to kind of like the center of town. Really, mm-hmm. it's there's a lot that that goes on in that little area, but th- you know, it's a there's a nice little like artistic community down there as well, and it's yeah. all it is all kind of like revolves around Dan Dutton and what what he brings what he brings to that community um is pretty priceless um but i guess that you know it just it's just this little mecca little artistic mecca in the middle of nowhere kentucky it really is it really <laughs> Basically. is i mean and and you know and we got to um what was really special the next day um on that sunday morning we actually got to go and uh to uh to dandy land and see his studio and see some of his artwork and that um that was really special that was a really special treat um so yeah he he is amazingly an amazingly talented and gifted artist that's that's for damn sure yeah for sure Um, and a super nice guy super nice uh, down to earth guy very much so he he approached uh myself and serfiel and just started talking to us about the, the show and and everything and i think we're going to probably at some point we'll have him on to talk about some things and um he actually gave me a book uh about the what is that the child ballads yeah the, the series of paintings that he has done um which are he has a couple of those that are there on, on site and pretty amazing stuff um i think if anybody had the opportunity to really you know he's very much a man of the land too like i mean his family goes back in that area for generations and generations so uh truly special um but i i guess through all this um i guess you're beginning with hellier and now you association with the penny royal guys and all that you've you've really started to um I guess have your own experiences and do your own thing Mm -hmm. so let's talk about uh, some of the weird synchronicities that jason that you've experienced um and we can we can start just talking about other things as well but i want i want to know about some of that just specifically synchronistic things or just yeah, weird things yeah. that have happened since then okay so yeah well i mean you know we're synchronists are weird anyway but yeah i mean are just weird, <laughs> are just weirdest you know that's happened to you since then like has do you feel i guess the thing is do you feel like this has opened a door for you in a lot of ways absolutely a hundred percent i think a lot of the synchronicities initially were really focused on what has become a documentary project that I've been working on for over a year. Um, The initial synchronicity of watching Hellier, hearing about Edadorpa, reading the first two chapters online, and then Greg Newkirk on Patreon posted like pictures and information about the copy of the book that they have. And they post the map that I hadn't gotten to yet. And when I see the town where my really weird lucid dream experience had taken place uh, on that map and I had no idea that's where the story was going with Edadorpa. That really definitely made the whole event stick out in my mind. It, it totally changed my entire scope of understanding 
of what synchronicity meant because it hit me so hard that I had never had anything really that strange happen. I would go on to say that the things that Nathan and I uncovered together about Western Kentucky in our research, a lot of those were very synchronistic. Um, the next day after I interviewed them for Paranormal Patio, I come across this post on Twitter and it's about the goat man of Livingston County, Kentucky. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So I reached out to the poster and then I reached out to Nathan. I was like, Hey, I think I found something on Livingston County. He just said me too. And I was like, what did you, what'd you find? And I could see he's typing and I'm typing and we both like found the same thing at the exact same time and had a good laugh about that and about the weirdness of everything just being totally literally in sync that time. Um, I've had, I've had several smaller ones finding out that my birthday is the same day as William Morgan's birthday and William Morgan being the uh, sort of pre regurgitated version of the, I am the man and Ed Adorpa, which was pretty crazy after I found that out just last week, actually. And yeah, we'll get a little bit more into that soon, but yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's been a lot of synchronicities. And then because of failure and following that crew around, I started studying Thelema under Marco Visconti uh, for, I don't know, about a year or so. It's not really my cup of tea, but I was interested in just researching it and studying it more than practicing it. Mm -hmm. But it did open up a lot of those weird um synchronistic sort of magical things for me so even though i'm not openly practicing it i think it's opened up doorways to me to be able to uh sort of project manifestation into the world and it's changed my magical practice for sure and you've had uh, you had so you had a weird experience that you detailed on your latest episode, actually. And what was that? Uh, yeah, this is more so, supernatural, I guess. It's definitely little, weirdo little, stuff, and a little synchronistic as well. So there is, for the longest time, actually, where I live, I, I thought there was absolutely nothing weird here because no one talks about this stuff. We're very conservative very right-wing group of people i stand out as a complete opposite in both of those but it's a, this is like a 1970s vibe in my entire part of the state uh, no one talks about this stuff and when someone does have something weird happen you know they either tell one person or they tell no one so there's no stories about it really but my friend keith who has had several strange occurrences in his life including a really fun and funny and terrifying Bigfoot encounter, which uh, I talked about with him in episode one of season three. He tells me, hey, there's this cemetery that's not far from where I had this Bigfoot encounter. And it's a really old cemetery. There's some Civil War graves there. There's also these floating lights. And I've seen, I've seen them and they're real. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I'm thinking this is a weird spot that has, it's like a window area. There's, there's a haunted cemetery with free floating balls of light and there's you know it's a bigfoot area and so we went out in august and saw a ufo while i was there saw one of the balls of light while i was there heard some really big unexplainable noises between the cemetery and the river which is less than a mile away 
in the woods between. And so I'm thinking it's like the unification theory, you know, the, that I know Kutchin is really big on this. Josh Kutchin's huge on this. Like everything is kind of just a different aspect of the same thing. And I'm working on expanding on that theory a little bit. I don't know where that's going, but it's, it's, it's in process as well with all the other things I'm working on. But I went back uh, last month and took one of my friends and his daughter out there with me. And we were doing some just general investigation, really short. We were only there for maybe 40 minutes. It was for a live stream for, for my Patreon. And we heard this growl like three minutes after we got there or howl more so really short. I looked at my friend Levi and said, what was that? And he says, I don't know. I think it might've been a coyote. And so I made a mental note. Like I got to check the audio recorder on this whenever I get home. We heard a couple of other noises while we were there, but really kind of left feeling like nothing had happened. And I get back and finish the live stream up and I plug in the audio recorder, pull the file out and I'm listening to it. And where we heard the howl, there's someone whistling. And I included that in the last episode so that you could go and listen to it. It's very weird. The whistling comes back again later. And then there's an unexplained expression of my name by a woman or child that really gave me the chilly willies <laughs> a little bit you know i was super paranoid because i'm out here in the dark in my studio and i look out my window of my studio door which is just to my right and i saw something about four feet tall looked like a person but was grayscale just ran across in front of my neighbor's garage which is in perfect line of sight and i was like all right i'm done like my brain is messing with me at this point and i'm just going to go inside i'll come back tomorrow so I come back out the next night and I'm going through the audio, cleaning it up, isolating it. Cause I know I'm going to use it for the podcast episode. And I go out whenever I'm done, I'm locking my door from the outside in the studio and I hear a whistle. And I've just been listening to this damn whistle on the audio recorder for, you know, half an hour. Well, wow. and I'm like, all right, that's weird. So it whistles again. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to whistle back. And I'm looking around my whole neighborhood. There's nobody outside. It's early in the morning or super late at night. And uh, it whistles back at me again. So I go to my garage and I'm like a little, a little freaking out a little bit. And I'm like, I get, I'm going to have a cigarette because I'm freaking out. So standing in my garage and I'm looking out the back door of my garage and I hear it another time. This is like the fifth time. But I totally embraced it at this point. Like I'm all in. I whistled with that thing for like 15 minutes and it would whistle back. It didn't copy me. It was not the same every time. Uh, but we whistled at each other for a while. And finally, I was like, that initial shock had worn off. You know, you kind of get bored, even with the super strange at some point. It's like when you sit and watch a UFO for 45 minutes, you know. And uh, so I whistled and I told it good night and I went inside and uh, haven't had anything since. But it's definitely weird. Yeah, that uh, that's definitely weird. That's not, not, not something that's ever happened to me. I can tell you that. Um <laughs> <laughs> very strange um you, when it initially were, happened i was hoping it wasn't happening to me i was really hoping i was having a stroke or something but yeah um but oh but you were you were you were communicating with something i mean how how far did it sure. seem like it was was it, there are there like woods around your house was it something that so there is a woods but i was getting this whistle initially from the northeast and then from the southeast it changed where it was based on where I was. So when I left my studio, it was to the Northeast where it's pretty open. There's a, 
like a backhoe and excavation company has a storage garage back there. Uh, it's pretty open there. It sounded like maybe a hundred yards away if it was loud or, you know, like 50, 60 yards away, if it wasn't loud, if it was just like a person whistling, um, I gave me the impression that it was farther away and louder, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Never saw anything when it was whistling at me, so I don't know. So the same whistle that you heard on the recording, the same type of whistle, I guess, was yeah. what you were hearing coming from somewhere in the distance. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a whimsical, like it could be a song, it could be a little uh, tune, right, but you can't right. place what it is. Yeah. yeah, and you uh, when you guys actually were there, right at the uh, the site, this was a graveyard, correct? This was like yeah, a, yeah. And you were playing, you were playing some like I guess, um, period music, I suppose, was what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, it was a Civil War song, uh, "Hell on the Wabash," okay. which we yeah. only played because we're near the Wabash River. So, is that a was that because it was a civil war cemetery or was that just because it was from the time or well the first time when i went out there with my friend keith um it was his idea to play like a civil war song he's like you should totally just play hell on the wabash on your phone and i was like okay yeah no problem yeah. when i played it that's when we saw the ufo so whenever i went back with levi last month i was just like yeah we should just play it you know, it worked last time, something weird happened. So maybe something weird will happen this time. And, uh, you know, I, I, it could have been whistling what it heard, you know, I don't know. It's hard mm -hmm. to tell because it's, you know, it's on an audio recorder and we're walking in the snow, you know, but we didn't hear the whistling at all while we were there. It was only on the recorder. Uh, your friend Keith, uh, you said that he had a really odd Bigfoot experience. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because this is interesting for sure. Yeah, his Bigfoot story, I had heard once before at a party. And I really thought, well, Keith is probably just drunk and telling this crazy story. But whenever he retold it for my show, um, it was exactly the same. And he was stone cold sober. So uh, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but he's camping. Um, they they're here in Woodnox on like a three day camping trip on the first night or the second night. Then they're hearing a sort of uh, a howl sound. But he gets up on the third night to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, and he comes back and through the light of a dying fire sees this Bigfoot standing across from him in in the wood line, and it begins this harrowing like hour-long encounter of him hiding in his tent and touching toes with Bigfoot through the tent and then <laughs> uh, he hears a baby Bigfoot and he thinks that this is like a parent Bigfoot teaching a child how to mm -hmm. like forage because they they raided the campsite and uh so the last visual Keith has is the baby Bigfoot running out of the wood line, climbing up on the shoulder and back of the large Bigfoot, carrying a bag of Doritos that he had stolen from their cooler. Uh -huh. They took all the food that they had outside, except for the uh, Quaker Oats rice cakes. <laughs> they didn't want those, but they, <laughs> they took everything else. <laughs> And this this is southern illinois right this is uh, it's where, like where central central illinois central illinois yeah yeah 
I mean, one of the things I like to point out is that, you know, when we think about Bigfoot, what do we think about? We think about like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. You know, some very, a lot of very remote area. I mean, central Illinois is not, I mean, there's towns all over the place. There's human habitation sure. everywhere. So, you know, uh, for, for Bigfoot to be there, there, there always seems to be something more going on, but it's got that. It's definitely, I listened to the show. I listened to the episode and him relaying it. And the story definitely has this high weirdness factor even down yeah. to like you just said you know the the baby with the with the the bag of doritos you know <laughs> and it's it's weird too that they had a random guy and his kids show up at the beginning of this camping trip that they didn't know they let him camp with them mm-hmm. and he starts cutting down trees as soon as he gets there like made no sense it's one of those really weird things and they've, he's never seen this guy since then has no idea who he was you know right it's, just, it's really weird right and, and that and and that almost like you think that it almost has no bearing on it, but in some way, maybe it does weirdly enough, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. like the randomness factor just rolled the dice and like you're getting Bigfoot and chainsaw guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, although um, shout out to strange familiars um, was the guy chainsaw guy wearing flannel. Uh, I have no idea. You should oh, ask him. I need to ask. I'm going to ask him. You should ask him. I doubt him. it because it was summer. It was really hot. So. Well, you never know. Flannel man wears flannel all year round. So I'll find out. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this documentary that you're going to do um, or you're, that you're working on. And yeah. uh, what is this called? And uh, what is this? Uh, what is this about? So the documentary is called Surface before me my altar um it's about my research and investigation into the edadorpa story that is spun off of a lucid dream encounter that i had in 2001 i had this lucid dream my girlfriend and i were flying around southern illinois the shawnee forest which is my favorite place on earth and not unusual for me to dream about being there we flew over the river and landed in front of this house, which was a really big, nice house that didn't seem to be that it should exist where it was. So the rest of the buildings around it were, you know, a little bit run down to be nice about it. And uh, we walked up to the bank of the river and there were all these dead gar on the bank of the river. And I woke up mm-hmm. and I thought that's really weird. Um, you know, not super strange really, but it's weird that I had such a vivid lucid dream and these gar were there and in this house. Two years later, my friends and I are camp or not camping. We're just hiking around in Shawnee forest. Yeah. For the day, we took a big day trip and we were running out of things to do. And I remembered one time I had been to the Smithland lock and dam and there's a visitor center. So we decided to just go do that. So we didn't want to go home. We get there, the road is gone. It's either being redone or removed. There's no way to get to this visitor center. It probably doesn't even exist anymore. The dam is obviously still there. So it's called the Smithland Lock and We don't know anything. We're just teenagers. We're stupid. Obviously, Smithland, Kentucky on the Atlas seems like it might be a good vantage point. So we double back and 
go through Kentucky for what seems like an hour, but it wasn't. It was only probably 25, 30 minutes. And uh, we pull up to this town, Smithland, Kentucky. We turn. I'm not even driving. I'm in the backseat. We turn off this side road and we park and I get out and I look up and it's the same house that I had had this lucid dream experience about two years ago. And we walk up to the bank of the river, watching a barge come through. And one of my friends says, hey, come up here and look at this. So we walk up and there's all these dead gar on the riverbank, just mm. like I had dreamed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm freaking out at this point. I didn't even tell them about it until a couple of weeks ago uh, that I had had that happen because it was just so strange. I was, this was not in my depth at that time. You know, now if that happened to me, I would, I would be all in at the time I was just freaked out. And so it's in, it's in my head, you know, this is 2004 ish. What am I going to do with that? You know, nothing. It's just a strange experience that I had, but I mentioned earlier, you coming across that Adorpa and it brings up Smithland, Kentucky. And I thought this is just bizarre because this is a little town that no one has any business knowing exists. There's nothing there, you know, really super interesting. Uh, why is it in this book? So I had to, I had to finish the book and I have a couple of times, <laughs> I think. And uh, yeah, so I was like, this is, this Edadorpa book is really interesting. And I started doing research on it and I decided that I would, try to find this cave entrance in Kentucky where I am the man self-titled enters the hollow earth and uh, learns the secrets of the universe. And so I set out to set out to do that, man. And I don't know how I really feel about it. Obviously it's hard to just come out and say, I think that the earth is hollow and this guy went there and he came back and he told this story and it's now a book. It's really hard for me to, even me who's in a really weird story, like yeah that's definitely true but at the same time there's so much truth it's so brilliantly interwoven if it's if, if the narrative of the book is made up there's so much in there that's real that it really makes me wonder you know maybe something did happen maybe this guy really did have some sort of experience did he really go to the hollow earth or was it some sort of you know uh mental projection similar to non-physical ufo abductions you know maybe it's something like that or these fairy encounters where obviously someone's not just disappearing from earth and and go into fairyland like there's got to be some sort of non-physical aspect to these encounters with high strangeness and maybe this is one of them or maybe it's all bullshit and it's just made up and it was a best-selling book in you know 1895 but either way it's really interesting and and the things that i found in my research, I think are super interesting. Well, let's talk, we could talk about that, but I want to talk about Edadorfa just a little bit. Um, you know, this book, uh, what is, you, you mentioned a little, but what is it about? What's its history? Sure. Uh, you've read it a couple of times. Um, what are your, th- I mean, you know, I look at the, uh, the, the book of knowledge here, the Wikipedia article about it. There's not a lot in this article. So I'm curious about, um some of your thoughts on this book and what it what it might mean okay so it's kind of a big question (laughs) it's a fairly fairly good sized book to uh to sort of narrow down to a few passages but i feel like well i'll just tell like the general story is there's this guy his name is luel and drury 
And he comes across this letter that says, you are supposed to infiltrate this secret society and publish a book about all of their secrets. And so I take that back. It's not Llewellyn Jory that does that. He comes into contact with a man who tells him this is his story and uh, never reveals the location, never reveals his name. But the story is definitely the story of William Morgan. And William Morgan wrote uh, a book on Freemasonry in the year that he disappeared in 1825 called Illustrations of Masonry, which is really a difficult read if you've ever looked into it. Uh, it's, it's basically like with, minutes of a meeting. Most anything dealing with Freemasonry is a difficult read. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess my point is it's not a narrative book. Like it is just, this is what happens in these lodges in 1825. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so this guy's story is very similar to William Morgan, except leading up to William Morgan's disappearance in the real world and the real timeline He doesn't disappear in the same way. He's not murdered. He's actually whisked away to Kentucky where he finds an entrance to the hollow earth with this guide who has taken him from Batavia, New York to Kentucky. And he gets handed off to another guide who is a sightless, pale skinned, wet humanoid figure that guides him on his journey to the inner earth. And he learns these lessons of about humanity and he comes back and he tells the story to Luel Andreri, who agrees that in 30 years, he will publish the story. When 30 years is up, he doesn't publish the story. Instead, he enlists John Yuri Lloyd to publish the story. If you believe the narrative of the book, um, that's how it happened. The alternate is John Yuri Lloyd just wrote this book, you know, with a weird, like, fourth person perspective on the narrative. So it's, it's all being relayed to Llewellyn Jury from I am the man and John Yuri Lloyd, who has nothing to do with it except publishes it, you know, is credited for it. This was published in 1895, correct? You said? Yes. Um, so one of the things that was pretty popular back then, and the most um the most famous of these is actually dracula is your um you're making it because dracula is like a series of letters if you read it right it's a series of these different letters um dealing with each character's association or experiences with dracula that's how bram stoker makes it and uh, this seems very similar in that, oh, I have this manuscript that I was given and I'm what uh, I from this other guy who told and this other guy told him not to give him for 30 years. That was kind of a common literary motif of that sure. of that time period. And another another commonality is John Uri Lloyd uh, lived in Cincinnati and in Cincinnati we have a lot of hollow earth talk. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name. There's like a, there's a whole monument there uh, to this hollow earth uh, story perpetrator. Right. Um, And you had journey to the center of the earth came out like around this time. I think like it was, it was, it was becoming sort of a genre, like the, the center of the earth, the Mm -hmm. inner earth, hollow earth. Right. Uh, But the thing about John Uri Lloyd is he's a pharmacist. 
he is a self-taught pharmacist. He didn't have a degree. He became one of the like most well-known pharmacy companies, he and his brothers, like at the time, like that was their shtick. So, and he was in the alternative medicine a little bit, which I think represents a lot of the fungus and the mushrooms that are in the hollow earth in the illustrations uh, by J. Augustus Knapp in Edadorpa. But it's weird that this pharmacist, this is his first, his first book. Uh, it's weird that he would write about this. Really weird. Yeah, Wikipedia says that support says that uh, since Lloyd was a pharmacologist, his novel has provoked speculation that drug use contributed to his fantastic and visionary nature. Substances from marijuana and opium to nightshade, henbane, jimson weed, and psilocybin mushrooms have been suggested as possibilities, although no real evidence on the matter is available. Yeah. I've never found anything that said he was dipping into his own stash. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and with and the illustrations, you know, definitely he didn't do those. And sure. definitely, you know, mushroom is a common theme. Like they survive off of mushrooms in the hollow earth, apparently. And uh, oh, really? That all came. Yeah, yeah. They provide uh -huh. all the nutrients. Yeah. So definitely see where that point of view comes from. And I still, I don't dismiss it, but I do think it's you know, without any basis, really. Well, when you're dealing with that, with the hallucinogens, you're dealing with the altered state of consciousness. And mm -hmm. I mean, the, the hollow earth or these, the fairy realm or any of these type of places, uh, that. I think could be synonymous with whatever altered state that you're in. Now, I don't think that that means that uh, you are any less, it's any less real. Sure. Um, because I, you know, I, if you mentioned Josh earlier, I mean, he talks a lot about this um, and he has also talked a lot about that association between the fairy realm and altered states whether it's brought on by drugs or whatever so um these are real experiences these people are having i just you know i think that there's a it's a it's a synonym or a i i guess a for like for the for that experience for that altered states experience i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah, yeah. And it goes back, like I said earlier, about the non-physical aspect of these encounters and, and these trips to Venus and, the, you know, <laughs> right, like, which is the Venus being what it became in, you know, from the 50s to the 70s, really, with these contacty things. It's mm -hmm. weird. Venus and Aphrodite are, you know, like the correspondences for each other in different mythologies. And Edadorpa is Aphrodite backwards. Um and this is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is that. Trendsetter. <laughs> John Henry Lloyd. Trendsetter. Yeah. So basically, I mean, you know, if you put this in a different context, if you were to take Edadorpa and you were to put it in the 1950s or the 1960s, even, this would be a contact T experience. 100%. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool that way. It's kind of like the grandpappy of of the Venusian contact, the experience. Now, what is the connection? I mean, you mentioned William Morgan. Um, 
there seems to be a connection to masonry here. I mean, is it was John Yuri Ward a mason? I don't think he was. I could be wrong on that. And to be honest with you, I never even checked just because it's obviously the William Morgan story and the mm-hmm. fact John Yuri Lloyd's mother lived 45 minutes away from the site of William Morgan's kidnapping. And she was like two years old whenever he was kidnapped. She grew up with that story her whole life. Sure. And there's no way she didn't pass that story on to him. So if, if we just assume he wrote this book and it's entirely made up, you know, like he definitely lifted the William Morgan story because the disappearance of I am the man and the disappearance of William Morgan are exactly the same. They never say where, but they describe where, and it's obviously batavia new york so definitely think there there's a possibility of freemasonry with john yuri lloyd he seems like the type of cat you know a little odd uh into power a little bit like he has this huge pharmaceutical company like he makes all these alternative medicines and obviously has an interest in sci-fi and and the occult writing this there's a lot of occult uh occult type thinking in Edadorpa for sure. Um, William Morgan, of course, like we can briefly cover that. Like he infiltrates the Freemasons and on, on lies, basically saying that he's this high ranking Mason in Canada, thinking no one's ever going to check it out. And he tries to get into all these lodges when he gets turned down, he writes this book. And if you believe Edadorpa, he writes the book, because he's he receives a letter saying this is what you need to do this is your journey now and uh in real life it was you know obviously much less dramatic it was you know i got turned down so screw them i'm gonna expose everything i know and even at that taking that at face value like how much did he really know like how true is that book that he put out you know how true is illustrations of masonry because he wasn't officially a Mason. I mean, there's no proof that he was, he had tried to be several places and it always seemed to not work in his favor, but there are more ties with the backstory and, and these side stories uh, with the Masons. For example, the house that I had the uh, lucid dream and that I found in real life, two buildings away is a historic Freemason hall in Smithland, Kentucky. And uh, that was weird as well. And, And when you consider Crowley coming through America, collecting all these Masonic rituals and, and these ceremonies, um, him being in that area where there's a historic Freemason hall was also pretty weird too, I thought. And you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff with William Morgan that I didn't know about. For example, uh, after his disappearance, his wife, uh, marries a Mormon, moves to Missouri and then, uh, marries, uh joseph smith yeah and joseph smith had become a mason his father was a mason in new york his brother was a mason in new york they were like really close by to william morgan it's possible when the masons abducted william morgan that joseph smith's dad was one of them or even his older brother and then his wife his widow turns around and marries joseph smith is really bizarre you know it's like this retro caused like crime of passion you know like uh if william morgan had never been taken out and she had never been made a widow then she never would have married joseph smith so retro causality dad go kidnap that dude i gotta marry this chick it's um 
there's a lot going on at the same time there i think in uh mormonism is definitely influenced by freemasonry oh sure um even down to like you know the sacred garments and these type of things and the construction of the temple and this and all that um and there's also the treasure hunting aspect which you know is something that joseph smith did as well that's a big that's not necessarily part of masonry but it seems to be associated with masonry in some ways i i don't know exactly how but um because you know the bell witch story and i've said this before too that um the here in tennessee the bell witch story as it's written down uh later on in the 19th century um is uh, some people have looked at that and said that there's a masonic allegory to the bell witch story as well yeah and there's there's also treasure hunting elements in that story too because some of the bell sons john bell's sons are digging into an indian mound which supposedly releases the spirit the bell witch yeah and um that um they are actually looking for buried treasure so as there's that too so you got several things i think just going on at the same time there in upstate new york which at the time is known as the burned over district because mm-hmm. of just the pure amount of religious fervor speculation and you've also have the fox sisters that are happening around the around like the late 1840s so it's about 20 years later Mm -hmm. uh, than william morgan but it's all happening in that same area so you know mormonism comes from that that area this um really this anti-masonry movement comes from that area which is actually the 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 first third political party in the united states was actually the anti-mason party and that's because uh, of William morgan's unfortunate right, series right. of events yeah it come it comes from it comes from what happens with william morgan whatever happened with william morgan yeah um and there's also the spiritual spiritualism is going to start up there you know much later than that so yeah you know it's just the 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 religious fervor and the religiosity of the of, of that area was pretty much like what southern california is today with the new age that is what um that area was at the time of the 19th century it was roughly equivalent in a lot of ways something that i found that was really interesting um had you heard about during this time of anti-masonic movement about the american hotel in livingston county new york which is right between where william morgan is abducted and uh where he was taken to trial this american hotel becomes the host of the last livingston county lodge and these remaining lodge members are meeting up in this hotel for their meetings under secret because they don't want to be like harassed and killed and whatever because it got really heated um they start noticing the articles of their clothing like their jackets and things are coming up missing at these meetings and after months of this happening one night they meet up and all the clothing that had been missing has been returned. So they take it 
And it comes to that the clothing had all been infected with smallpox and almost every Mason at that meeting contracted smallpox. Like that is how insane this anti-Masonic movement was. Mm. Like people mm-hmm. were stealing their clothes and infecting them with smallpox to kill them off. Like it was heated. And it's really weird that Livingston County, New York is the setting for that. And it's right where William Morgan's from or where he's living and when he's abducted. And then Smithland comes up in Edadorpa, which is in Livingston County, Kentucky. So it's another one of those weird sinks in this book. Like if it's, if it's made up, there's things that support that. Like he has all these cool connections that he makes and, and writes a story, but if it's not, it's just a real synchronicity. That's even stranger. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, well, I mean, there is always that kind of thing that's floating around in the ether, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just pick up on channels, you know, yeah, static yeah, noise. Yeah. I'm I'm curious about this whole thing about um, Crowley and his family. I've heard Nathan mention this before. Sure. Uh, what specific family is he going to see in Kentucky? No problem. I got this covered. Uh-huh. Oh, right. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> for Cause sure. Because I, I am curious about this. I, I you yeah. know, I, um, you know, if you've if you've read Empire of the Will, Walter Bosley's book, um, you do know that around the time of the 19 teens, you know. Um, Crowley is traversing the United States. So, mm-hmm. so Crowley's mother's grandfather had a son from a previous marriage, which would make this gentleman her uncle and Alistair Crowley's great uncle. His name's William Bishop. He's born in Somerset, UK, moves to America and marries Mary Martin of Golconda, Illinois, which is just across the Ohio, the southern tip of Illinois. Um, they end up moving to Northern Livingston County, uh, raise a family after several failed attempts. I think they had three uh, infants that passed away early. Um, and then they did have a few children. So this is Crowley's great uncle and his children that, you know, form this, this family unit there in Livingston County. The One of the sons, William David Bishop, becomes elected sheriff two terms of Livingston County and he was a U.S. deputy marshal at the time of his death so this would have been 1905 and 1913 around the time Crowley would have been coming through so it would have been his great uncle's son and and Mm -hmm. and other siblings that he would have been meeting up with I've been to the cemetery where they're buried Um, it'll be in the documentary it's a really isolated 
scary place to get to because it's there's nothing around for miles there's no cell phone reception like it's it's a little haunting to be there hmm yeah that's that's fascinating so there is a speculation that crowley may have visited these people that he may have visited his relatives there yeah his mother for sure did um i don't remember i think the book is like alistair crowley in america Mm -hmm. something something um his mother for sure did after it was like 1904 i think okay Hmm. let's talk a little bit about knights of the golden circle all right so does uh you know this is something i had no knowledge of at all the knights (laughs) of the golden circle until i started working on this yeah yeah i i get this comment on my website to one of my episodes from season one uh this guy leaves a comment he says this is really interesting this was a my first like public talking about like my story and that i was working on this documentary he said i live in the area whenever i was a kid i visited these stone stairs that led down to this wall and there was all these ancient carvings on this wall and I tried to reach back out to him, couldn't get a hold of him, couldn't find him. Like maybe he's using a fake name. Maybe this is just completely fake, whatever. Well, eventually I find the guy on Facebook and I reach out to him and we talked for like three hours on Facebook messenger. Uh, and one of the last things that he talks about, we're talking about all the local history and, and the stairs and, and all this stuff. One of the last things he, he tells me is when you come down here and you start poking around, be careful. And I said, well, like snakes or, or what? He's like, well, in the springtime, there's a snake problem. But he said, I found this lapel pin last year. And I took a picture of it, posted it on our local like Facebook and asked if anybody knew what it was from. And three days later, these dudes show up at his house and they tell him not to be talking about what he doesn't know about. And that it is a lapel pin from the Knights of the Golden Circle. And he needed to stop talking about it immediately. And they, they were not threatening, but they were intimidating, I guess. And uh, they leave. And he, that's when he ghosted me. I don't know if he thought maybe I was trying to con him into telling me so that I could come back and kill him. Like if I'm a Knights of the Golden Circle representative in modern day. Uh, I don't know, because I, I felt like we had a really good conversation. And so I think maybe he just got freaked out and thought I was part of the Knights of the Golden Circle. But later on, uh, I would say early fall last year, I found out that there is an old uh, Knights of the Golden Circle meeting place in Shawnee Forest. And uh, it's part of the trail system now uh, near Garden of the Gods. It's the, I went there. It's this amphitheater bluff, really. It's like three quarters of the way around. Uh, there's a natural stone arch that leads into it on one direction and like a really narrow path on another. So if they really did meet there at the time, uh, it would have been really hard to just stumble upon. Like if you're out, out there in that area, there's no roads there. There's no trails there at the time. You know, this is forest, deep forest. It's hard enough to really find now, like finding it back then would be insane. So it'd be a great place to have a secret meeting uh, for sure. And you'd have a lookout in two spots. You know, if someone's coming, uh, you've got plenty of time to get out of there and, or hide or 
prepare to kill them or whatever it is that they want to do. But that's how the Knights of the Golden Circle fit into this, to my specific story. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> the Knights of the Golden Circle, um, I had heard of them before. Um, first exposure to this probably was Jim Mars ruled by secrecy. If you're familiar with Jim Mars in, the, in that book. I am now. I wasn't yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not very well known. Um, now they were actually pre-Civil War. Yeah. And kind of surprising to hear. Well, no, I, no, no, actually I'm going to take that back that because the Southern Illinois, Southern Indiana, those areas were, were kind of more oriented toward the South in some ways than to the, to the, even though they were part of the Northern States. Um, but the Knights of the Golden Circle, what they wanted to do, their goal was to create this, of course, for the South to leave the United States. That was the first thing. But then they wanted to take over Mexico and they wanted to take over Central America. And the idea was to eventually link up with like Brazil and you would have, which still had slavery at the time as well. Yeah. So you would have this huge slaveholding empire that would stretch pretty much from North America into South America. That was their goal. I'm sure you know this now. Yeah, yeah. But just, you know, for the listeners so that they know. Yeah. Um, this, of course, did not happen. Um, and when the Confederates, Confederacy was defeated you know so it was some of the 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 aims of the knights of the golden circle and it's been speculated that people like you know albert pike and john wilkes booth and these type of people that they were actually part of the knights of the golden circle yeah jesse james uh, you know so like the elite yeah jesse james is another one um some of these and there was actually there's actually a group in brazil called the confederados uh that are actually um people that left the the former confederacy and went to brazil because i guess they felt like their way of life would be better respected down there and they are actually still a small group in brazil um but you have guys like you know alleged members of what wikipedia says you know yeah jefferson davis of course you know uh sure. nathan bedford forrest john wilkes booth jesse james now not what's not as well known is people like you know john surat samuel mudd these were people that were connected with the the lincoln assassination um i what i'm interested in in this because i've always heard that they're gone okay that there's yeah. you know that they were but i think that maybe because you have such a right-wing upsurge now and we do have here in tennessee an organization called league of the south that um is neo-confederate um white supremacist 
um the this organ you know so it's not surprising to me that you might have some kind of little revival movement going on somewhere yeah for sure i mean when it started it was an offshoot of the copperheads right like these guys that wanted to take take this even more serious and really do something about what they believed in which is you know not not agreeing with their principles whatsoever um and not trying to like give them like a spotlight yeah these guys fuck what they believe in but uh you know and those types of mentalities and those those mindsets evolve over time and i definitely think that i mean based on what the one the one guy who would have no reason to make that story up and tell me um i think we kind of led into that because we were talking about some of the outlaws uh you know in the 1800s that were in the livingston county area Um, there's a really famous uh outlaw cave on the ohio river on the illinois side called cave in rock where these outlaws would hide and ambush these uh passers-by on the river there were a lot of river pirates (laughs) back back then and that cave was a huge place for that uh, eventually it was even opened up as like a, a gambling hall and like a uh, a bar for these people so i think that's how we kind of got into it is directly across the river really um but when he told me that and i had i didn't know jack about the knights of the golden circle it wasn't something i'd heard of jesse james you know and and all this but i didn't know anything about it and now going back and, and looking there's definitely a lot of those ideas that have carried over in this extreme right uh you know even a little bit into the like the QAnon stuff, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'd say so, very probably. Um, it, you know, whether there's because I mean, according to the Book of Knowledge here, you know that they were gone by 1863 or they were dissolved. Um, now, could there have been a small group that maybe styled themselves Knights of the Golden Circle and they? exist to this day i mean it's entirely possible i i just i i would i would say that it's more just a it's probably a you know newer incorporation um oh sure you know and who knows how many people it actually is he seemed you said that he seemed pretty scared and like they had threatened him and yeah yeah so yeah so, and but they fit in a little bit with the documentary as well. Well, just because of finding out that they had this meeting place in the Shawnee Forest, and and some of some of the documentary is going to focus on Southern Illinois and some of the the places in the Shawnee Forest. I I thought it was very strange that yeah it would come up, and I didn't know that this place existed either. And I'd been in Shawnee Forest all my life. I'd never even heard of this Knights of the Golden Circle Trail, and that it led to this this mystery meeting place. Uh, so when I came down to Nashville for strange realities, I stopped and on my way down and, and I went and filmed the location and I actually got a rock for uh, Nathan and a rock for Kyle from there uh, just so they could have them for, you know, Kyle for the museum and Nathan, because he was talking a lot about the Knights of the golden circle at the time with like in our conversation. So what was Nathan's interest in this? What was Nathan? What was he? Uh, I think a lot of it. They, is, how did that? How did they see that they, they came? They came up in his stuff too. 
I think a lot of it's the uh, connections to some of the players uh, to Somerset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jesse James, like I think is featured in the, and actually the whole last episode that just came out was right. kind of focused on it, you know? Uh, I think it was just that, like he was coming, coming into discovering that stuff and, and deciding to put it in the show. And, you know, I'm a member of the Liminal Lodge, their Patreon group and their live streams. A lot of what's coming out in season two, we've already all covered months and months ago. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you're asking me to step into the mind of Nathan Isaac and that is... Oh, well, that's true. That's a good point, yeah. Physically, mentally, emotionally, not going to happen. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to ask him. No, when we were there, I mean, we did stop by that little spring yeah. Uh, the town spring i'm sure they, they've shown you that and then that's an interesting place and um i forgot the guy's name that um uh who it was but um cr cundiff cr cundiff yeah and it, what it reminded me of uh was the georgia guidestones okay i, mean, you, I don't know if you're i'm sure yeah. you've heard of it but i don't know if you've ever been down there i've been never there a been. couple two or three never. times and um you know, Dr. Future, my, a good friend of the show, um, he uh, did pretty much, he solved the case of the Georgia Guidestones and who R.C. Christian was and nobody seems to care, which just really burns me up because they still want it to be Ted Turner or the Illuminati so they can make TV <laughs> shows about it. But the truth, but the truth is, is that it was some, it was a doctor in Iowa, some American, basically American fascist, you know um racist white supremacist so a lot of these kind of views um even though he probably wouldn't style himself that but um kind of seemed to be the same style to me yeah and what's really weird about that is like they're wanting to build a super conservative college right there now yeah yeah and it's like just perpetuating this mindset right like over the right. over the centuries at this point Right. Yeah. It's going to literally be be built right on top of this like old town, town springs, even though there actually isn't a town spring there. But right. um, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, this is just, a, I think an undercurrent of kind of like your basic American fascism, white supremacy, these type of things. I, you know, this is, this is always going. This is always going on, and unfortunately, it's probably going to continue to go on. But especially, I think when like powerful people, weird eccentric people with money, like Cundiff and the guy who was RC Christian, um, are going to build these these odd things. But it's also indicative of this this kind of fascist, racist undercurrent. Yeah, and I think that's part of where Nathan is going in the in penny royal as well too so yeah for sure i like i said we're privy in the in the patreon group for knowing a lot of what at least the surface of what some of these things are they're going to be in season two um yeah it's always amazing to see how he connects things and and the stories that he uncovers you know all of all all of them uh, they all are really great at just taking these stories and and connecting the dots and making it all coherent somehow it's incredible well what's the timeline on the documentary when you think you're going to have it out what's the what do you so uh when i initially started the project i mistakenly 
thought to myself, well, how hard could it be to make a documentary by yourself for no money? Um, and it turns out it's incredibly hard. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been down to Kentucky several times to film and uh, I really, it's just a matter of time for me now and time management to sit down and film my talking head parts. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's really where I'm at. And if I were able to stop doing the show and, and stop going to work, I could have it done in like a month. But unfortunately, that's not the case. I still have my regular life. You know, I'm a dad. I've got regular person problems and, you know, and I work full time. So this is like in my spare time while I'm also doing the, the podcast, which editing podcasts, as you know, I'm sure it takes a lot of time. Yeah. So it's just kind of I fit it in when I can. And I had out before the end of the year and that did not happen. Not anywhere close. It would be by year. It'll be out by the end of the year. That's oh, already really cut out there. That's a bit. that's my new operating goal. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's definitely a labor of love. I'm I'm glad to see people doing those 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 type of things. Um. Yeah. Um. So, other than that, uh, what's next for you with uh, Paranormal Patio? Oh man, we're rocking and rolling into uh, the third season. I just, the last interview that I recorded was with uh, Steven Snyder. Um, got to talk with him a lot in Somerset and I gave him back, I gave him a ride back to the hotel uh, the night of the party. And uh, turns out we were like hotel room neighbors, like his was right next to mine. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy, pretty wild. Uh, I actually got him to tell some like personal paranormal stories, uh, which is fascinating. Oh, really? Yeah. So you have to look forward to that one. Uh, that'll be out. Uh, do, 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 do. I think in a couple of weeks this week, we'll, there's another one that'll come out this week and then it'll be two weeks after that. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, Steven, you know, he's a great friend recluse. He's yeah. a great friend of the show has been part of the conference and, and, and all yeah. that. And, um, that's, that's great. Um, uh, any questions for me? Uh, <laughs> cause I'm sure that you're a listener can spirit normal. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and you guys do such a great job too, by the way, the, Thank you. the variety of topics and guests that you have, uh, the huge aspirations of putting on a conference during a pandemic and successfully pulling it off. I know that it was stressful. I could tell just from, yeah. from being around, you know, the people in charge, like you guys were stressed out. Some things didn't happen the way you wanted them to happen. Some things didn't work, you know, some people couldn't show up, but it was a great, great experience. I, I really cannot stress enough how everyone should try to attend the next one in person because in between all the speakers there is all of these like-minded individuals huddled behind the building and telling personal stories and and talking about research and talking about ideas and it's just as fascinating to be out there into that as it is to sit and listen to them with their presentations right if you can make it to one, take it from me, definitely go. Highly recommended. The last one was a lot of fun. And I, I imagine hopefully this year there'll be a little more people there, uh, you know, with 
it seems like we're kind of maybe potentially getting out of the pandemic state uh hopefully yeah well now we got to so, worry about russia so you know it's a <laughs> well i don't think they're going to be shutting down paranormal conferences let's I think hope, yeah okay. let's let's hope not yeah uh, uh but thank so you yeah again. for yeah 100 um big supporter of you guys uh i'll i will most likely unless some unforeseen circumstance comes up i'll be back in in nashville for the next one for sure um questions for you man how did you start this podcast journey well for me um it became just like getting really back into looking at the paranormal again uh when i was in my 20s and because like i said before like about um the uh ghost hunters show and all that um and one, you know, I, I worked a lot of nights. I still work a lot of nights. And back then I would listen to the radio and I listened to coast to coast. And there were these guys that they were talking to from Detroit uh, called ghostly talk. And, um, I, you know, wanted to listen to something other than coast to coast. Cause I didn't want to pay for the free subscription for the subscription, which I did later, but at the time, um, I went ahead and was like, well, I can listen to this in my car, load it on my iPod, all this type of thing. You know, I don't have to be, you know, just be holding to the radio. So I started listening to that and that led me to other shows. And eventually um, I got, you know, Dr. met Dr. Future in about two, 2010. He was doing Future Quake. I became a fan of that show. And from... 2010 to 2012 wanted to do my own podcast well he finally hung it up and i decided well i just pick up you know try to pick up a little bit where he left off not that i could ever match the excellent future quake show but um and he's still a really good friend of mine to this day um so that was the reason you know i got into it and uh later on uh the next step was really doing the conference um because i had you know, a good friend of mine, Guy Malone, over in Roswell, New Mexico, he put on his own conference for the 70th anniversary of whatever happened in Roswell in 2017. Myself and Rob, um, who was my co-host and producer at the time, we went out there and real inspired to do something for myself. I had, you know, and I wanted to try to do something in 2019, in 2016. Um but, you know, had some life changes and some things happen. So really 2019 was really like the sweet spot where I could actually get it done. And, you know, Rob, that, that venue that we, that we use SIR, it's, it's a perfect place. Um, it uh, Rob worked there. He worked there at the time and it was just, you know, was able to get a discount on it and, you know, it was just the perfect thing to do. And so we actually did it. And that year, even though it was filmed and it actually is online now, we didn't stream online. And because of the pandemic in 2020, obviously we decided we, you know, uh, stream online. So we did a purely online strange realities that year, uh, which we actually learned that was actually a big learning process. And I think we were able to take that, what we had learned from 2020 and do this 
quote unquote hybrid event in 2021 that 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 you were at and yeah. um next year uh well this year for 2022 which by the way we will say that october 14th through the 16th is what it's going to be this year uh we're going to be hopefully everyone will be at the venue speaking and we're going to be still streaming it live so people will still have that option but i think now you know with the pandemic ending and once we get past the world crisis that we're in um i think yeah thanks putin uh, <laughs> we can we can uh we can all get together in october for the strange realities 2022 so we already got you know uh, a good lineup you know like i said recluse, recluse who you mentioned nathan is coming back john tenney will be coming back this year uh josh cutchin tim banal quite a few new faces that we're gonna have kiki is gonna make it this year come hell or high she water better. kiki's gonna, great by the way she is she is we just did um and i'll plug this and i guess because this will probably go up on your feed as well um we just did our um kind of paranormal speaker series i guess is what we're calling it it's called strange realities you know online events and we're going to be actually it's kind of an outgrowth of something that we were doing for our patreon which was our meeting of the mystic crew um this is something that's for our ten dollar and above patreons but every month we're having a speaker and i'll go ahead and mention i was going to mention this anyway at the end of the show but um uh, the next one is coming up March 25th. We did the uh, Kiki's on February 25th with David Metcalf. And he will actually be, he sent me the title. And I'll, this is a, this is a scoop for you, Jason. Oh, man. The, the title is called Star Children and Psychic Futures. So, um, All right. guys, tune in for that. Tickets will go on sale for that pretty soon. Um, so there's two ways to do that. You can either become a $10 Patreon, which is actually what we prefer because it's actually easier um, for you and for us, but there's also going to be an online uh, ticket sold through Eventbrite as well. So, uh, so we got a lot, we got a lot going on. Um, we're actually also doing something called Paranoid Styles, which is where Surfiel and I just speak about uh, kind of the history of conspiracy theory and, and some of our ideas um, of how it's gotten so crazy. And um, that's almost like its own podcast within a podcast. We did one of those last month and hopefully here soon, we'll be doing another one pretty soon. But yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a labor of love, man. I mean, you yeah, gotta, sure. it's, it's something, it's something to, uh, something that you, it's something to keep up with and, 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 and feel your day. I'm sure you can, you can relate on that. So overwhelming sometimes. Right. But you, you keep <laughs> doing it. Would you say yeah. you get more out of like talking to these people and, and hearing their stories for yourself or for putting it out there for everyone else? Like, it's it's okay to be a little selfish like i feel like i get i do this because i get to talk to these interesting people to tell me interesting things um sharing it with the rest of the world is just kind of like a bonus yeah it's a little bit of both for me uh whenever whenever i started conspiracy normal in 2012 i 
I had gone to a lot of paranormal conferences. Okay. And I had met through that a lot of people. Or I had heard a lot of people that were on other radio shows and been, and either I met those people or I just reached out to them. And um, I knew who I wanted to have on. And I was always like, you know, when you're listening to a show and you're like, well, I would have loved to ask another question than what I'd love to talk to them about this subject. I'd love to get their thoughts on on an, another aspect of it, that was kind of my thought process when I started Conspiranormal was I want to, I want to talk to these people, but also at the same time, um, having that ability to like, because I was kind of, you know, touched by what other people did and inspired by what other people did. And I was that kid, well, I wasn't a kid, I was in my 20s, but, you know, I was that kid that, you know, lay in my bed and I'd listen to podcasts to go to sleep, you know, yeah. and listen to these shows. There was one called World of the Explained that I listened to all the time. I just, you know, go to sleep listening to it. And I wanted to kind of give that back to somebody else that might, you know, there's certainly somebody that listens to Conspiranormal or to the Paranormal Patio that you know that does that now that is inspired by what we're doing and it's just i think it's a it's a chain uh effect you know it's like pass it on start your own and um when i started you know there wasn't i don't think there was as many podcasts definitely the word was there by then but um now it's become easier and easier to do what we're doing and yeah. so i think that that chain can continue and keep going on to where when when i stop whenever that is going to be um you know somebody else can take up that mantle and you know so I, it's yeah. a little bit it's a little bit of both it's it's, it's there is a, there is a kind of like a, a selfish motive but there is also like i want to give back you know as yeah, well sure. so yeah i wasn't trying to downplay the uh make it for everybody else obviously if i just want to talk to these people i would never put out the episodes i would just call people and be like hey you're we're right, doing this podcast right, interview i'm right. just gonna keep it for myself but, right you know but it, but it's still cool to do and the other thing is and i'm sure you you've definitely you've definitely experienced this is that you the more you have these people on the more that you become friends with them and the more you gain relationships oh, sure. with them and and that's that's how I was able to build the conferences is because I already had relationships with these people. And so by having someone on, it wasn't like I just, you know, out of the blue. So though I probably could, I, it was like, I'd have somebody on conspiracy normal first, and then I would see how they were. And then I go, well, I, I like what this person is saying. Let's have them for the conference. And they already know me from, from the podcast. So, yeah, you know, yeah, for and, sure. and one thing we're doing um, with strange realities, or at least we're attempting to, is that we're, we're trying to build this up as like its own kind of like little company, its own kind of um, production aspect of it. So that, you know, conspiracy normal, uh, maybe people might get confused as like, well, are you strange realities or you conspiracy normal? We're really, because we're almost part of strange realities now what we're doing you know is all the same so do you do you struggle with that at all 
like i know i'm asking just like podcaster questions and not and not uh you know experience questions but do you struggle with it becoming more and more of a job versus a hobby like do you struggle with the motivation sometimes sure i think you i think anybody does i just want to make sure you know i don't talk about podcasting really that much on my show or with anybody that i have on my show I've, you know i've interviewed a dozen podcasters you know but like i'm curious someone at your at your scale versus my own like i know how like my, my problems are you know and my lack of motivation sometimes and the more that i've added to it and made it so that there are more expectations and there's more pressure you know it's harder to to keep it up and to keep going every day mm-hmm. so i was really curious just about like how that is for you at your level you know what i mean i'm like i'm not even in the minor leagues you know i consider yours as like you're like <laughs> from the major league brands right so from my perspective and i can only imagine the, the immense pressure of putting on these giant events and all these different aspects of it like i don't know how i'd handle it to be honest well i mean yeah i appreciate that i don't necessarily see myself as like the big famous guy but <laughs> but i do appreciate that um yeah, sometimes, yeah, it, it can seem to be like more like a job than a hobby. Uh, I'll put it that way. And there are those times that you're like, oh, man, I don't really want to do this tonight. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with this, but I, you know, I gotta. And it's in those moments that you're just like, yeah, has this become a job? Has this become more of a drudgery type of thing? Um, is it fun anymore? And I, and I think, you know, Sir Fiona, we've talked a little bit about some of this and, you know, you can't, you don't want to suffer too much for what you're doing, I guess, right. you know, yeah. you, you want it, you want to still, you want it to still be fun. You want to still have that aspect. And yeah, there are definitely those times where I'll get on and I'll be like, okay, I got to get this done. Let's do this, you know, but at the end of the, at the end of the interview or whatever we're doing, it's, you know, you, you, you do reap that reward still, you know? Yeah. I, I think a lot, and I'll be probably more honest than I should. Uh, <laughs> it, it is, it is a, this is kind of a game right now. Um where you feel like and especially i think that if you are relying on it for your entire income i think it becomes you've got you do feel that pressure see i don't rely on this for my income yeah um whatever we make really goes into the pot of strange realities and I think when you do, when you don't rely on it, it can become a little less of trying to not necessarily get one over somebody, but like trying to have the hit the latest trends, do you know, this, this kind of social media pressure that people feel. Yeah. And I think a lot of the things that you know, especially in the last couple of years with the pandemic, what Sophiel and I have noticed is that there are a lot of people that have basically really kind of um, compromised their own principles 
or what they feel should be right and wrong because somebody is probably giving them money and giving them funding. Yeah. And I won't say I, I have some specific shows in mind, but I won't say who they are. Well, it better not be yeah. mine no, because not, I don't even put my podcast on Apple. <laughs> right. Prince. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I remember when I remember asking you at, at Jarfly, I was like, well, is it on iTunes? And you're like, no, I, it's, it's solely on Spotify. No, it's but, everywhere, uh, but iTunes. It's everywhere, but iTunes. Yeah. But um, I was like, well, cool. It gives me an excuse to listen to po- to a podcast on Spotify. But yeah, it's, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not talking about any of the other shows like Where Do the Real Go or Stranger Players. Let me put say that right now. I'm not talking about them. Um, yeah, I'm talking about some other shows that I think that, you know, get or have gotten funding from some rather suspicious, probably suspicious sources. But yeah, that you do feel, I think, that pressure at a certain point to like, there's that performance pressure that you, that you gotta have. And now let's just face it. I mean, the podcast thing is becoming, it's becoming inundated. Everybody's making their podcasts, right? Um, you know, people, you, you, you will have podcasts like ours, where we talk about serious subjects and we do. Okay. We're able to the pod, my podcast sustains itself, um, which means that I'm able to take the money that I get and pay for the things that I use to make the show. Um, but there's other shows out there that, well, they'll just talk about nonsense for two hours and they've got a huge following and a huge yeah. Patreon support and stuff like that does get frustrating. You know, but I think that you really just got to be what you really have to do. And what I've, what I've had to do is to say, well, I'm just going to worry about what I want, what I'm doing. I'm not going to worry about what somebody else is doing. And I think that's really the key. And I think that like, if you're trying to have some kind of podcast fame or some kind of paranormal fame, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no because, kidding, yeah. because because honestly unless you are able to get on television um then people see you then people recognize you then people know who they were you are because most people don't want to seek out what is unfamiliar most people want to see a familiar face and you know that that still is um that's that box in our house is still pretty powerful. So, you know, that's why I'm glad that there are shows like yours and mine that are on a smaller level and we're doing more of a grassroots type of thing. And I, that's, I think the way that, that it probably should be. Um, but you know, there are podcasts, a lot of it, I think is about luck. I mean, there are podcasts that get mentioned on other larger podcasts and then all of a sudden their listenership goes up. So you never know what could actually happen at a certain time. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm counting on right now. That's the only reason I agreed to come on your show. So right. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so, I've always, I've always taken the approach of, you know, this is 
this is for me first because I've spent so much of my time ignoring yeah. this fascination, you know, like, so it's selfish, but I, I feel like I do the best possible job that I can with production for everyone else so that it's easy to listen to and it sounds decent. And I try to get like a lot of different type of stories. Like I collect stories. That's what it's evolved into. I'm just story collecting at this point, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's really I, that's, fun. That's a good service. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't care if a million people listen to me this year. I don't care if a thousand people listen to me this year because like, like you, I'm, I'm self-sufficient in this, you know, it takes care of itself. I just have to put the time in and I really look forward to talking to every different guest that I have. I just hate going back and editing it and, and working with my like perfection complex to be okay with putting that out you know, but I think that comes through and it is, it's just, it's for me, it's just about the fun of, of the story. And I don't care, you know, if I, if I cared that much, I would be on Apple and I'd have double the listeners that I have now, you know, and I don't care. I, 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 there's, I think that we'll, we're going to find that podcasting um, has a very good documentary purpose. And what I mean by that is, especially, especially in the field that we are in, where you have these older people that have been doing this for a very long time and preserving their voices and their experiences are very, very important. Yeah, that's something that Sergio and I decided, and myself and Sergio, we decided that that's something we really wanted to do. Um, because Tim Beckley is a great example. I mean, you look at all the experiences that man has had. I was very privileged to have had Tim on my show at least two times, and he's gone. Yeah. So someone can go back and they can hear his voice and hear his experiences. Cause a lot of these guys and ladies are not going to be with us very much longer. So, you know, uh, Sergio likens it to like the, the folk recordings that were hmm. done by the, 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 the new deal. Um, that was funded by the new deal rather back in the 1930s where they went and talked to ex-slaves. They went and talked to, you know, civil war veterans, all these people that were going to be gone soon and to preserve their memory. And so it's very much in that same vein, except in the fact that we're talking about UFOs or Bigfoot or, you know, ghosts, paranormal, more paranormal experiences. There's people with a lifetime of research experiences that have, that are just invaluable and you want those people to be documented. So podcasting and especially someone that's into history as I am. And, um, that's, that's very important. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. Yeah. So like Uh, your friend that had the Bigfoot experience, you know, you've got that recorded. It's on the internet. 
you know i mean that's that's a good example of that and then just people's personal experiences are important as well for sure and you know when you can get to like a story that has been told you know third hand fourth hand for for years and you get to the source and you and you get the actual you know honest story from the person who lived it and you preserve that little piece you know then it's there you know yeah. i don't know what the internet's going to look like in 50 years but i know that it'll probably be just as easy to find these stories through our podcasts you know as it right. is now at least as easy if not easier um unless you know they make us all get podcasting licenses and <laughs> we all quit <laughs> you know you never know you never know what yeah. could happen yeah who knows man regulation but no it's it's refreshing to me to to hear you talk about this stuff because i like we share the exact same like viewpoints on it i feel like you know with the actual act of podcasting like it makes me feel good that you know someone whose content i respect shares the exact same problems and concerns and and looks forward to the same things you know that i do so yeah. thank you that makes me yeah. feel good <laughs> uh, yeah thank you yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad i'm glad to talk about it because it's not something that i've that i've talked that i talk about on the show really at all because i don't want it yeah. i don't want it to seem like you know that i seem discouraged that's not what it is but you know people no, not at all people do need to understand i mean we make we make a as podcasters we make a ton of content for people to devour you know yeah. there's so much information out there and you know i i think you know really seriously you know support your podcast my podcast people you know just you know even if it's like a dollar you know, just give us something to, to help with that, because, you know, that's a lot of time and it is a lot of effort, you know, I mean, I could be watching the Simpsons or something, you know, I, you know, <laughs> but, but really it's like, I, to me, it's like, I, that's not really, you know, I've got plenty of time to do that stuff. You know, I take one day, one night out of my week to do that, to do this. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's valuable and I'm glad people appreciate it in whatever form that they can put money. Yeah, sure. You know, I don't even, <laughs> I don't really even care about the money. Like just share my episode on social media or something. Yeah, so this yeah, else can find, you know, like that's, right. that's really all I ask. You know, I don't like, I'm doing fine financially. I'm okay. You know, and yeah. I, if I depended yeah, on here. this, right. you know, if I depended on this to live, it'd be a different story. I'd be like, yeah, send me all your money. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's not really where I'm at. <laughs> but yeah, sure. If you want to throw a dollar here or there, you know, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. You know, you can just, that's what about what we get out of our Patreon and uh, our t-shirt sales is about a dollar interactions. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we, we've been talking, we've been, we, I think we started at about like, you know, 10 after the last hour, you know, we're almost yeah, yeah. like an hour and 40 minutes. And like, this is, this is a, this is a ton of content for somebody to consume. And, you know, I, and, and also too, I mean, like, especially during the pandemic, I feel like, you know, podcasts were a godsend for a lot of people and a really a lifeline for a lot of people. Yeah. That's why I found your podcast, man. So, oh, hey, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Several yeah. others as well. And, yours. I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed what I've heard of the paranormal patio. I'm going to keep listening. So, well, I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. 
I'm glad someone enjoys it. <laughs> so where can people find the paranormal patio? Sure. Uh, well, the easiest way is paranormalpatio.com, but you can search for every podcast platform except for Apple. It's a personal decision. And you'll hear that almost every episode. Uh, I don't care. You know, I don't care. I had, you know, I had someone who I've, I've spoken to a lot on the internet um, that used to work for Apple that has exposed to me even more reasons why I should not put my stuff on Apple. So I'm going to continue. Um, but yeah, you can search Spotify. It's probably the easiest place. I, I like Spotify a lot. Um, and we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash beyond the patio, uh, which is just extra stuff and early access to all the episodes, monthly live stream, that sort of thing. Um, look forward to having you on uh, whatever, whatever way you want to absorb our content. You know, we, we collect stories and we tell weird tales and we hang out and do fun stuff like Bigfoot hunting haunted cemeteries. Yeah. And if we're going to do a crossover episode, which I think is what we're going to do, uh, conspire normal, um, is on every podcast platform, including Apple. Um, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that we are on there. So, uh, if you've never heard conspire normal podcast as well, we also have a Patreon, conspire normal Patreon slash conspire normal. And we also do strange realities. We're doing events every month now. So online events. So, so check that out as well. So. Are the online events uh, left up after the live? Yeah, I actually just um, did the video for the last one I'm, and I've just posted it on YouTube, but um, I'm going to put that up for the Patreon pretty soon. In case this doesn't come out on my uh, stream before the 25th i just wanted to clarify that because you know you have the uh, the next one coming up and i if it comes out after that you know, i want yeah. people to still listen yeah. and watch yeah they'd have to either buy a ticket or or or, or uh or become a patreon but they but they right, will right. be able they would be able to see it yeah awesome thanks so much for having me on man this has been a lot of fun yeah I, yeah thank you i like the woo stuff and the weirdo stuff and the conspiracy stuff but i also liked like I got a lot of the conversation just talking to you about what we do, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, Gus, thank you so much. And uh, we will be back next week uh, with David Metcalf on uh, Conspiracy Normal. Looking forward to it.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.